Let's pray, church. Father, we have sung of your forgiveness this morning. We have come to you in worship. And now, Lord, we want to understand more fully what this means. Lord, I pray through our time as we open your word and look to different passages of Scripture, would you show us clearly the weight of our sin? I pray that each one of us would understand clearly what we've been saved from, Father. For those who are in Christ, that they would have hope this morning, that they would have a renewed joy in what we have been brought out of, And for those who are still uncertain, would you show them how destructive sin is, how wicked it is, and how there is forgiveness only in Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would do this through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, we have almost made it to the very end of our summer series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, We started all the way back on June 20th, and we are very close to the end. This is actually the second to last message, and then next Sunday, Dustin Rudolph will be finishing up our series. And as we've been walking through line by line of the Apostles' Creed, what we've seen is some of the main, the core tenets of the Christian faith. Um, For many of you who've been in church for a long time, these shouldn't be surprising things that we've been studying. Okay, well, that two-part series that Dustin Saunders preached about Jesus descending to the dead, that one might have been a little new for you, as it was for me. But in general, these topics are not new, but they are the core foundation of our Christian faith. They're things that we hear a lot about, and yet it's been good to go deeper in them to take these truths and to, to see where they are in Scripture. And today's message is no different. The forgiveness of sins, Christianity 101. If you look at the Apostles' Creed, this line comes right after what we studied last week. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And the, the idea behind this is that after you understand the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has done in creating the church, then you see the church's message to the world. The, the message that the church is to proclaim to the world is that there is forgiveness of sins. Right? Dustin last week showed us that we gather as a church because we are made into a royal priesthood. We are living stones being built up to proclaim God's excellencies to the world. And one of those excellencies is that there is forgiveness of sins. And we see this, that this is the the mission that the church is given in the Great Commission given at the end of the Gospel of Luke. So there's a Great Commission at the end of Matthew, and then there's one as well we see in the end of Luke. And let me read it for you and see how Jesus commissions his apostles to share this message. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And listen to this. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So that's the message of the church. That's the mission, the mission that we have to preach that repentance and forgiveness of sins is available through Jesus. This is the job of the church. We do not hide from this mission. We do not hide from the world, hoping to not get dirty, to not get hurt from the world. But we go out into the world to proclaim this message, that there is forgiveness of sins. And this is what the early church did. If you have been in the Bible study on Sunday mornings, you see that after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, the early church began spreading this news, spreading the news that there is forgiveness. We see this in Acts chapter 2. Look at how Peter preaches. Acts chapter 2, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and the early church, they're just doing what Jesus has commissioned them. They're obeying Christ by preaching the gospel. And by God's grace, even though Peter's sermon was around 2,000 years ago, God's message is still going out. God's message of forgiveness is still spreading all around the world. Faithful churches are preaching this message. We see that people are hearing it for the first time and coming to saving faith. God, by his grace, is using broken people. Each one of us is broken. Each one of us is a sinner, and yet God is faithful to build his church. And so each one of us in here has heard that message from someone. That's why we can gather. Each one of us has heard this message. Maybe it's from a coworker, Maybe it's from a friend, a parent. But God, in his faithfulness, is allowing people to hear this message and to worship him. And so we, now, as God's church, we want to carry this message forward. Since this is the, the gospel message that has come to us, we should not let it die with us. If it's come to us, it's because it's moving through us and out into the world. At least it should be. As the church now, we declare that there is forgiveness of sins. This is our message that, that we are sharing with the world that Christ has given to us. So we want to share it confidently. But in order to share this message, we must first understand it. Before we go outside of these walls, back to our work, back to our schools, we must have an understanding of what does this look like? What is the forgiveness of sins? What is sin? Instead of having a superficial level, a surface level understanding, we must wrestle with these concepts so that we can accurately share it with others. You think about this. If, if all we needed was a surface level understanding, then a billboard over the 8 freeway would be fine. Jesus saves all right, church, we've done our work. Good job. We need to understand these concepts. We need to wrestle through them. 
And this is especially true when you think about the culture that we live in. Our culture does not understand what sin is. And so to show this, I want to read a little story that Dustin Saunders sent me this week about our culture's understanding of sin. So this was a little while ago, but it says People Magazine published an index rating of sins. They called it a syndex. And this syndex was based on a survey that the magazine put out asking to rank different sins from least offensive to most offensive. Among the worst sins were murder, rape, incest, child abuse, and treason. Parking in handicapped spots and cutting in line were also surprisingly high. Uh, and, these, and these actually ranked higher than premarital sex and divorce. And the sins that were extremely low on the sin index were smoking, swearing, and illegally filming someone. I'm not sure why that one was included. But after gathering all this information, the survey asked respondents how they would rank themselves on the sin index scale. And not surprisingly, the survey found that almost all the people answer, that answered viewed themselves as relatively righteous people. Overall, the reader said that they only sinned or committed one of these sins about four to five times a month. So you can see where our culture is in. And it's not surprising because as, as we go out to campus, as we go out to SESU, we're all often talking with students and asking them questions about sin asking them things about their spiritual life. And what we find is that many times, students do not see themselves as bad people. They're not sinners. Maybe they struggle with some things, but in general, they think of themselves as good, moral people that are doing their best. And if God turns out to be real, then they're for sure going to heaven. So our, com- our culture has completely lost its understanding of sin to the point where when we come to them, when we share that there is, there is forgiveness of sins, they don't understand. This is a concept that, that doesn't relate to them. It's not relevant to them anymore. Sin is, is a foreign thing. While they might struggle with a few things, they don't see themselves as needing forgiveness. Even evil and wickedness are things that are, are going away in our culture. As our culture is defining everything as relative, there is, there is nothing solid that you can stand on. So evil, sin, th- those things are, are not really that bad. And so when we come and we preach forgiveness, it's, it's a foreign concept. And the sad thing is that they don't realize that the way they are living is contrary to the God that created them. We will be held accountable one day. Each one of us will stand before God as we've seen. But our, our culture has embraced this idea that everything is relative. There's, there's, no, there's no sin out there. And unfortunately, what, what therapy is often used for is actually just helping people not feel guilty. A rightful guilt that people have can be argued away or explained away in a good therapy session. This is not what it's meant to be, but in our culture that has no foundation, that's what happens. But before we spend our time looking outside the church, we also need to examine our own hearts, don't we? 
After all, this is the culture that we live in. This is the air that we breathe, these modern ideas. Every day we're being preached at. We're being influenced by the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the advertisements we see. And if, if we're not careful before we know it, our minds too will be formed by this. If we're not careful, then slowly more and more the, the biblical ideas of sin will become foreign to us and even offensive. We don't need to be made right with God. We just need to be a little bit better. We just need one more self-help book to show us that deep down we are good people. Maybe we're just some mommy and daddy issues. But that is, that's the influence of the culture. That is not the biblical view of sin. The biblical view of sin is so much bigger than that. So if you've seen this in your own life, this slowly adapting to the culture, be very careful. We need to come back and look at what does the Bible have to say? What is God's definition for what is right and wrong? And then what does forgiveness look like? So that's our goal this morning. We want to look at what is sin and what is forgiveness um, so that we can help as a church, we can proclaim this clearly and accurately to the world, but then also we can fight against the, the lies of the culture as they try to influence us and our family. So to accomplish this, I want to try to ask two questions this morning. I want, to, I want to ask the question, what is sin and what are its results? And then the second question is, what is forgiveness and what are its results? So those two questions are going to kind of be the outline for us this morning. And just a heads up, we will be focusing more on the first question. We'll spend more of our time on sin and really looking at what the Bible has to say on it. While it would be easy to kind of fly through sin, to get through the awkward part, the, the hard part, to get to the good news, the gospel, unless we spend time here sitting in it, understanding it, the forgiveness that we're offered won't hit as hard. It won't have an impact if we don't understand what we're saved from. I heard a pastor, as he was talking about evangelism, once say, if I had 45 minutes on an airplane to share the gospel with a complete stranger, I would spend the first 40 minutes talking about sin. And the last five, I would use to talk about Jesus. We need to understand sin if we're going to understand forgiveness. So let's jump in and look at this first question. What is sin? And sin appears at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Although the word sin is actually not used until the story of Cain and Abel, we see that sin enters the world through the sin of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17, we see that after God has created the world, He's created a beautiful garden and everything in it and allowed Adam to, to live in this beautiful place. He gives Adam a command. He gives Adam a good command that will bring life. Let's look at that in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall die. So God's commandment to Adam is a good one. It's a commandment that brings life. 
He's warning Adam of the death that comes in, from disobedience. But as you probably know, before too long, Adam disobeys. He eats of the fruit of the tree that he was commanded not to. Instead of listening to God and what God told him, Adam chooses to do the opposite. He rejects God's authority. And he decides what he wants to do for himself. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, interprets this for us. He shows us that from this scene with Adam and Eve, that this is where sin entered into our world. We see this in Romans 5.12, and you can see it on the screen. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So Adam brought sin into the world by rebelling against God's good law. And that's the nature of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. And while it might seem strange that sin could be brought into our world just by eating a fruit, what was really going on here? This was a rebellion. Adam was rejecting God as ruler. Adam was showing that he no longer wanted to follow what God said, but instead wanted to decide for himself what is right and wrong. He wanted to be God and decide what is right. So from the very beginning until now, we see that all sin is a rejection of God as king. All sin is rejecting God as God. We sin today when we choose not to follow God's commands, but instead choose to do what we want. And here we see the difference between our culture and what the Bible teaches. While we know as Christians that God is the creator, that he is the one that decides what is right and wrong, our culture tells us that everything's subjective. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. But we know that God has a different plan for us. In our culture, why bother in someone else's business? As long as they're not hurting someone, it's okay. But we see that the Bible's view of sin is a lot more extensive than this. Although we can sin by hurting someone, sin can also be in our thoughts. It can be in our desires. It can be in our love that's wrongly placed. Jesus shows us this. When Jesus gives us, summarizes the entire law by saying that it all comes down to these two commandments. Jesus shows us kind of what is the standard that all people are called to. We see this in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In this passage, what Jesus is doing is showing us that there is a standard that all of us are called to. He's showing that all sin comes out of not loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all our mind, and not loving our neighbor as ourself. All of us are called to this commandment. He's saying this sums up the entire law. 
So what we see is that the root of sin comes from our heart, a heart that has wrong desires, a heart that does not love God and love others. So while our sin can be hurting someone physically, our sin can also be hating someone, being unwilling to forgive. John Piper describes sin in this way. Sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not love God over all things and does not love others as yourself. So according to the Bible's definition, each one of us is a lot guiltier than we want to believe. Our culture downplays this. It suppresses sin. It makes it, us feel like we're, we're generally good people. But the, the Bible exposes our attitudes, our heart, and shows us that before God, we are not. We are not holy. So now that we've seen what sin is, let's move on to the second part and see what, what is the result. And if sin is disobedience to God's command, if it's a rejection of God as God, then the result of that is death. We see from the Bible that death is both the natural consequence of our sin as well as a divine punishment for our sin. So let me explain both of these. Since sin is disobedience to God's good laws, it makes sense that our sin brings death. The Bible says that God is the author of life. It says that all good gifts come down from God. That's what James tells us. And so when we reject God, when we choose to do the opposite of God's good laws, the result is death. We see sin bringing death in our friendships, in our marriages, in our families. We see sin bringing death in our personal relationships, which then bleed out into all of society. Sin erodes the very foundation of our society. When people lie and cheat and steal, it breaks trust and destroys. While God's law brings harmony and peace, sin brings death. I'm sure each one of you has experienced this before. Whether you're with a big group or on a trip, you've experienced how even one person's sin can destroy an entire afternoon or an entire trip. I have definitely experienced this. I am a youth pastor. And I remember one, one especially horrible night. Um, Sarah and I had been planning for a while uh, a youth group sleepover, and we had been prepping the games. I had been prepping my message, um, looking forward to this event where the students were going to come and connect and grow in their faith. And what happened was not that. <laughs> I'm not sure if there was something in the water that week, but student after student that showed up just brought a bad attitude with them. Students were fighting. They weren't following the rules of dodgeball. And what happened was complete chaos. This night that I was looking forward to, I was excited to, to bring the students together for life to happen. There was so much death. Sarah and I were so frustrated that night, and I'm sure... Our own sin reflected from their sin. Their sin caused us to sin. And what we saw was that the whole night was ruined. And I'm sure you've experienced that. 
when we go against God's good plan, when we disobey God's laws, death is the result. Jesus talks about this in John 10.10. He's describing here Satan, and he uses the word thief to describe Satan, but what does Satan bring other than sin? And in John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. God's laws bring life. They bring flourishing, and the opposite of that is death. It brings chaos, destruction. And another consequence is the social death we see. There's also a physical death that each one of us each one of us experiences. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, we see that death was entered into the world, and now each one of us will face a physical death. Our bodies, as, as we age, break down, and this is a visual picture that each one of us has of the destructiveness of sin. That sin is literally wearing down our bodies, and so we long to have our new bodies put on. Bodies that are not corrupted by the effects of sin. And while the physical consequences of sin is bad, the spiritual consequences are even worse. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. This is not talking about a physical death anymore, but it's talking about a spiritual death that comes as a result of sin. Sin, because it's rebellion against God, causes us to be enemies of God and deserving of his eternal punishment in hell. This is a serious thing. Listen to how Ephesians talks about the state that believers, all believers were in before God rescued us. This comes from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, also, we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you see what Paul is saying? He is reminding believers that before they were saved, they were under God's wrath. They were children of wrath because of their sin completely deserving of punishment. This is the exact thing that Jesus says in John 3, 36. He says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. Jesus is saying, Yes, there is salvation in me. But if you do not believe, the wrath remains on you. Why is the wrath there? Why is God's wrath shown? And it's because of sin. Sin causes each one of us to be deserving of God's punishment. And this is totally different than our culture's perspective, isn't it? According to our culture, God isn't real, so there's no consequence for our sin. Maybe maybe some social repercussions, but ultimately no eternal consequence for our sin. But that's not what we see in the Bible. Let's look at just one more passage of this. In Colossians 3, 5 through 6, the Holy Spirit writes through Paul, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you 
sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So the result of sin is both a physical death as well as a spiritual death. This is a serious thing to understand. Each one of us needs to sit in the weight of of what God has rescued us from. We need to understand the weight of sin. Otherwise, God's forgiveness will not seem seem beautiful. It will not be something to, to live for. But before we move on to the, to the next section, I want to pause and address some of you that might be feeling a little uncomfortable when we talk about God's wrath. It can be hard sometimes when we hear that the consequence of our sin is hell. And while our rightful response is to be humbled before God, to admit that we are completely undeserving of God's grace, what happens sometimes is that we can react and believe that maybe God is a little too harsh. Isn't God overreacting a little bit when it comes to sin? And and maybe maybe you would never say this to anyone else, you would never admit this, but when you hear teaching about hell, you cringe because it doesn't seem fair. And I want to address this because I've had these same thoughts. As I've, as I've heard sermons, as I've read the Bible, I've been tempted to think that, is God really just? After all, I, I've been sinned against and I don't react that way, not all the time. Is, is God too, too harsh here in his punishment for sin? And at times I've even wanted to apologize for hell. I've wanted to apologize like it was something I was ashamed to believe. So if you've ever thought this way, you're not alone. But instead of staying here, I want to explain why these thoughts, even though they're normal, they don't lead us to truth. These thoughts actually are a result of the sin within us. So stay with me here because this is an important thing to understand. Our sin nature causes us to puff ourselves up and then bring God down. That's what sin does. It makes us think that we are fairly good people, that we're not that bad. It's not just that our culture is telling us that, our own hearts are telling us that. But that's wrong. That's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Sin is deceitful and evil, and it constantly wants us to think that sin is not that bad of a deal. Sin lies to us and tricks us into thinking that it's not that serious. God must be overreacting. That is a lie, and we must reject it in order to understand what God has truly saved us from. And in order to reject this lie, we need to understand two things. We need to understand God's greatness. We need to understand God's holiness. Let me show you how this works The reason we are able to look at our sin as if it's not a very big deal is because in our minds, we've brought God down to our level. Instead of worshiping God and seeing his greatness, we have shrunk God so that he can fit into something that we can understand. 
In doing this, we have misunderstood the extent and the weightiness of our sin. You see, the weight of sin is not judged only by what is done, but more importantly, who it's against. A simple white lie might seem innocent enough if it was told to your little brother. We would probably all rate this pretty low on the sin index scale. But what if that same lie is told to the United States Supreme Court? While one little lie can be overlooked, the other lie could end you, end you up in prison for the rest of your life. Do you see the difference? The way to, to see the weight of a sin is to see who is that sin committed against. In Psalm 51, we see David's prayer of confession to God after he has sinned by committing adultery. He prays against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Although David's sin was clearly against other people, David knew ultimately it was against God. David had sinned against God. So what about our sin? All of our sin is against the most powerful being in the universe. Higher than the Supreme Court, higher than any ruler or government, our sin is against him. That means that our sin, which is like spitting in his face in rebellion, is absolutely worthy of eternal punishment. Our debt that builds up, just like the debt in the parable that Bob read for us, is greater than anything that we could pay off. It's a, great, it's a debt that we could not pay off if we had eternity to try to do so. So when we see our offense against a great God, we, we slowly start to understand the weight of our sin. Some think that because God does not react to our sin by destroying us right away, it, it means that our sin is not that bad. I would caution you to not see God's kindness, God's patience, God's slowness to anger as an excuse for our sin. See it as God's love. So the second perspective shift that we need to have in order to understand sin rightfully is God's holiness. You see, the reason that we can bring our sin down in our eyes is because we compare ourselves and our sin to others around us. Compared to others around us, we're not that bad, right? Other people are much worse than us, so when we look to God, it seems like he's overreacting. But if we were to see God's holiness, even for one second, we would know the depth of our sin. This is the experience that the prophet Isaiah has when he's given a vision of the heavenly throne room. Listen to Isaiah's response to seeing God's holiness. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. All it takes for Isaiah is one vision. In one vision, his eyes are opened, and he realizes for the first time how sinful he is. And each one of us is going to experience that. One day as we stand before God, we will understand he is absolutely 
perfectly just. When the curtain is pulled back and we are finally able to see God and we are able to see our sin for the first time, each one of us is going to know that the only thing that we've rightfully earned is separation from God. We will not be confidently walking into heaven, proud of ourselves, arrogantly thinking that we did a good job. We will be shocked and in awe by the fact that God would forgive sinners like us. Do you see how serious sin is? Our culture wants to downplay it. But our sin is the reason for death. Our sin is the reason that people will experience all of eternity separated from God. Sin is awful. But if we don't understand sin, we will not be able to communicate it to others and we will not understand the grace that's been shown to us. You see, unless we understand that we are completely lost, we will be tempted to try to earn our salvation. If our sin doesn't look that bad, well, then maybe we could earn God's love. But when we see the depth of our sin, when we see that on our own we are completely helpless, then the only thing that we can do is throw ourselves at God's mercy, knowing that if he does not save us, we have absolutely no chance. So now that we have seen our hopeless state without Christ, let us now turn and ask the second question, what is forgiveness? And this is the good news. This is where we get to stop talking about sin and talk about how Jesus has accomplished our salvation. Because although the Bible does teach about sin, it teaches about this debt that we've earned, the Bible also teaches that God has made a way Instead of leaving us in our sins, God has sent his son to take the full punishment that we earned. Jesus took our sins that so that we might be forgiven. Jesus took the wrath upon himself so that we do not need to experience this. This is beautifully displayed in Romans 5, 8 through 11. Let's look at this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Though who, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is amazing truth. God is showing his incredible grace for us in that while we were still sinners, while we are still in the act of disobedience and rebellion and rejection of this God, he sent Jesus to die for us, to take our place, to take our punishment. And because of Christ's death in our place, we are forgiven. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are friends of God. We don't need to fear God's wrath because Jesus took that on himself. This incredible news that we go from being children of wrath to become children of God. In rising from the dead, Jesus accomplishes our salvation and becomes the firstborn among many brothers, is how Romans 8 puts it. 
We are co-heirs with Christ. So the forgiveness that God offers is absolutely complete. He does not hold on to our sin so that he can hold it over us later, but he removes it. He, he sends it as far away as the east is from the west so that in God's sight we are now new creations. We aren't defined by our sin anymore. That's not hanging over us. That's not who we are. We are forgiven and we are cleaned. Listen to how Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. Paul starts this passage by going through this list of sins. And then he says, that might have been who you were. That might have defined you, but no longer. You have been washed. The stain of your sin is removed. You have been sanctified. The Holy Spirit is alive in you, and he's making you more and more like Jesus. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous in God's sight, not because of what you've done, not because of your own works, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That is the wonderful news that we get to proclaim to the world. Although our sin is more awful than we could possibly imagine, God's love and God's grace is stronger than we could possibly imagine. So what is the result of this forgiveness? The result is life. Although the result of sin was death because it was working against God's good laws, the result of forgiveness is life. It enables us to obey God's good laws. We looked at the first part of Romans 6, 23, the the bad part. Now let's look at it all together. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's forgiveness brings eternal life to all those who believe. Life with Christ through his forgiveness can start now, but it will last forever. We see this also in 1 Peter 2.24. Speaking of Jesus, Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter is saying, you've seen sin. You've seen the result of sin. You've walked that lifestyle before. Christ nailed it to the cross. He's gotten rid of it. So we don't have to live that anymore. We are free. The gospel is good news because it shows us clearly what Christ has set us free from. And when we realize that our sin, our guilt before God has been removed, we are free from the power that it had over us. Knowing that our sin was the very thing that caused death, 
that put Jesus on the cross, we can leave it behind. By God's forgiveness and his power, we have life. God's forgiveness brings life. And so in closing, I want to just bring two points of application for us today. If there is a sin that you're struggling with, if there is a sin that is holding on to you that you feel like you can't get rid of, see what Christ has done. There is no sin that Christ will not forgive. If you feel a sin holding on to you, meditate on what God has done. Believe that Christ has completely forgiven you, that he has wiped away your sin and made you a new person in Christ. And leave it behind. Let your sin go and live for Christ. Follow his commands knowing that they are good and they bring life. And then secondly, if, if you are struggling to forgive, if someone has hurt you, and you are, you are finding it hard to forgive because you've been sinned against, look to Christ. Our sin is immeasurably greater against him. Remember that we are first defined as sinners saved by grace, and then only secondly are we defined as those who are sinned against. See what Christ has done, how he has forgiven you of a debt that we can never repay, and pray that he would give you the power to forgive. As we close in prayer, and then as the band comes up and closes us in our last song, let's spend some time thinking about that and praying about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for showing us clearly in your word the devastation that sin brings. I thank you for showing us that without Christ, we are hopeless. But I thank you for showing us that you have made a way. Thank you for redeeming us, for rescuing us, for pulling us out of the pit, Lord, and giving us new life, for welcoming us into your family, adopting us as sons and daughters, Lord. Father, we need your spirit to empower us to live new creation lives. Help us to trust your word and to fight sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.